0: You're listening to The Interview, in-depth retailer interviews with inspirational people. Hosted by Ben Bland. Brought to you by The Retail Exchange. Sponsored by Laybuy, Pay it easy.
1: Hello, I'm Ben Bland. Welcome to this special episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast. This edition of the interview is slightly different to our usual ones as we look ahead to Retail Week Live 2020. It's widely considered to be the UK retail event for those who want to stay informed. It takes place in London on the 25th to the 26th of March with a lineup of over 200 top industry speakers across the two-day event. To tell us more about this year's Retail Week Live, I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Clark, advisory board member and also chief operating officer of Oka, the luxury homewares retailer. We'll also be exploring the brand journey of Oka, hearing Sarah's views on the current challenges facing the industry and shining a spotlight on her own retail career. Sarah, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Um, just, Just explain for me your role within the Retail Week Live Advisory Board?
2: Absolutely, so thank you for having me. Um, The advisory board is really a holistic group of thought leaders across retail, uh, and it's really very expansive, so it covers some of our more traditional retailers such as Tesco, through to some of the big tech suppliers such as IBM, pure players such as Farfetch, and smaller retailers. Um, and hopefully that's what I consider myself to fit into now. So having had a, a career in p uh, I've actually spent the last seven years in much smaller retail environments. So my role there is really to try to bring my knowledge and experience to the fore and make sure that we're considering things, especially from a smaller retail perspective, in what would make most sense and be most help to them.
1: So how does it work? Do you each take on responsibility for a different aspect of of Retail Week Live or do you all chip in on all all topics?
2: We all chip in on all topics. I think the benefit of having such a wide array of retailers, different sizes, a different blend of online and offline, means that we naturally gravitate to different areas. Uh, uh, But we treat it always as a roundtable discussion, uh, bringing ideas of uh, who would be interested to hear speak, what could be key topics, and really how could those sessions bring the most to the vast array of attendees that, that we have.
1: And in terms of your input personally, is there any aspect of Retail Week Live that people would perhaps see or or attend if they're there and you'd like them to know that actually that was something you pushed for?
2: So, there are a few different themes that are are important to us as a group, um, and certainly some that are very important to me. Uh, As a group, we really wanted to look at convenience versus sustainability because I think that's a a massive challenge. Uh, It's all very well talking about the role of sustainability and planetary concerns, but the conflict is that consumers have a lot of high demands and expect to have. Uh, easy access to products at very reasonable prices. So I think it was important for all of us as retailers to really have some sessions which could deep dive that that inherent conflict between serving immediately and quickly uh, versus uh, our ongoing sustainability and planetary concerns. For myself in particular, uh, I was very uh, fixated on the how-to. So I think often with uh, any panels or talks, often some very groundbreaking concepts can be discovered or discussed. But actually, as a smaller retailer, most people want to know, how do I start? How do I go about it? How can I operationalize success? What are the roles that I need to be considering? Um, what are the sort of first steps for me to get there? So certainly, some of the panel discussions um, that I had influence over were really getting into the 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 sort of brass tacks of how should you get this started um and that's very important to me having having lived in small businesses for a while now
1: and how do you make sure that anyone attending perhaps from a small retailer gets what you've set out there how how, how do you make sure they have those takeaway points
2: so we have cleverly uh, devised the days uh, according to themes. So there'll be themes around digital transformation, customer champions, store superheroes. So it's very obvious for people to find the themes that they're most interested in. But then alongside those themes, we've also been very clever, I think, at making sure there's a variety of different formats. So not just big keynote speeches, but also actually having some interactive uh, working sh- workshops during during break times where people can go and actually discuss their business and get direct expertise, but also the panels are there to really sort of tease out and drive controversy. Uh, and obviously, we we encourage a lot of live interaction and questions from the audience to really make sure they get what they need.
1: Now, whenever I attend these kinds of events, one of the things that people often say is there are so many sessions happening at the same time. And I want to go to all of them. Um, How do you make sure people get the benefit of that?
2: Exactly. So we have been um, cognizant to make sure that we have a very active app, which allows people to get breakdowns and summaries. uh, But we'll also be issuing um, some keynotes alongside each of the different sessions so that people can at least take away the the, the salient points that they may have missed uh, and may wish to follow up with in the future. Um, but it's hopefully a good problem to have because I think there are so many sessions people will, will be desperate to, to try to sort of nip from one to the other to, to get all the good information.
1: And I know when it's uh, a case of being involved in organising uh, a, a big event, you are so busy while you're there. But I just want to, to ask you, if there's one speaker or one session that you personally want to make sure you get along to, which one are you most excited about?
2: Well, I could just cheat and probably give one of the big <laughs> retailer keynote speeches. But actually, uh, I'll selfishly make a plug for where I'm involved, um, which is I'm taking part in a judging panel with lots of different small entrepreneurial companies coming along to pitch their ideas with the hope and the mindset that bigger companies can hear them and really find some merit in in the services that they're offering. So we're running the pitches throughout the two days and then actually at the end we'll be taking some of the finalists uh, onto the stage to to talk through their ideas and eventually we'll have one discovery winner. Um, And that I think uh, it's always interesting and important to listen to the Coca-Colas or the Icelands or the Sainsbury's um, because they really have a huge amount of experience to give. But I also think it's nice to listen to the people who really have the sort of sparky entrepreneurial ideas because that's really where the sort of agitation can can happen at the grassroots level
1: mm. and when you mention the different companies involved on the on the advisory panel uh, it's a vast array and and different types some focused on physical retail some f- focused on online retail big retailers small retailers and so on How much of a tension is there between people and the priorities and how they differ?
2: So I think even though there are huge differences, the conflicts... And the challenges that we're all facing are are quite similar. So as I previously referenced, I think the balance between convenience and sustainability is a really tough one for us all to crack. Uh, And as I said, consumers continue to be very demanding in their expectations of the products and services that they want, the costs that they expect, but also then have a planetary and sustainability concern which doesn't always triangulate so a lot of retailers are on a journey as to how to reconcile that Uh, and I think the most important thing is is actually just being honest with consumers and explaining where you are on that journey um, and how that may impact prices or or convenience that you're able to offer. Uh, I think the other sort of key themes are always technology so just because I always say just because you can do something with technology it doesn't mean you should do something with technology Um, and I think sometimes we're often guilty of crowbarring in gimmicks into retail which are not really rooted in customer insight. They're really there simply because we can do them. So trying to understand when and how to really make technology relevant is incredibly important.
1: And when people can get countless webinars and online articles and podcasts and get a lot of insight about the industry in many different places, Why do you think something like Retail Week matters? What is the benefit of people attending?
2: Well, first of all, I think anything that gets you out of the office, uh, A, always feels like a total struggle because everyone's got the bursting inbox and the full voicemail box. Uh, So it's really hard to actually just get out. But I think that in itself is always a benefit, just to get out into a new environment and start thinking differently, which anyone can pretend they're doing whilst they're sat at their desk watching a webinar, but it's very different to physically immerse yourself in a different space. Uh, Retail Week have also been doing some great offers in terms of tickets to try to encourage people to bring along their teams and their colleagues or split them between different days. And I think that's really important because I think again, you you don't just want one person from a company to attend and try to distill, as you reference, hundreds of different sessions. It's really great to give people breakout spaces, working rooms, where they can go and listen and absorb and actually then discuss during the context of the two days what it really means for their business. Uh, so I think it goes without saying the quality of the speakers, the thought put into the different tracts and programming, Uh, The way that we've actually categorised it between digital transformation, store superheroes, customer champions. We've tried to make it as clear as possible for people to make the right choices for them across the two days. But more than ever, we're really trying to make the use of collaborative spaces so that people can work together as teams or get one-to-one advice from some of the more experienced retailers there.
1: I just want to talk a little bit now about uh, your role at Ochre. Fairly recently joined. Uh, less, less than a year, is it, so far?
2: Just six months ago.
1: Just six months. Uh, best thing about it so far?
2: Uh, Well, this is really the first time that I've taken a brand and launched it in the States. So it's a British brand. Uh, It was founded 20 years ago by three women. Uh, As with many founder stories, three women who saw a gap in the market for product that they wanted and couldn't find. So went out and created a brand in order to fulfill their needs. And over 20 years, it's grown a very strong personality and sense of purpose. And what's exciting for me is to take that British brand and really present it to the US consumers for the first time. Um, so very exciting. We launched online just three months ago. And excitingly, we've got a, a store opening this summer, which in retail terms literally feels like tomorrow.
1: And what are the the particular challenges of taking an established UK brand and trying to make sure it works in the US? A very different market.
2: It's really about staying true to, to the brand. We've already had some challenges, especially in the, in the world of furniture and homewares, where... American homes are styled differently. So it's already been uh, a conversation and we've had to work through as a team where we're willing to show sympathy to US consumers and show that we're listening and showing that we're understanding, but where actually we want to stay true to ourselves, even if that means that, ochre feels a little bit more disruptive or unusual to the US audience. Uh, We're very big into colour, layering, texture, which actually is, is a little bit against the tide of where some of our more classic, sophisticated, clean-line competitors have gone. Uh, We're really a sort of celebration of the home uh, for family and friends. We believe that colour and texture brings that to life. But we've had to make some some tough decisions to stay true to ourselves and really build it for the long game.
1: You mentioned Oka's been around for 20 years. How do you think the, the proposition has changed in that time from when it was first founded?
2: So we have always had at the heart uh, a love of craftsmanship and that stays true to the brand today. Uh, there have been some villages that the founders have been working with for 20 years and, and that continues, whether it be around hand-painted porcelain or hand-created uh, woven rattan, uh, those things remain. Of course, over time, the, the range has had to, 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 to match the consumer's needs. Uh, And often people, as I said, are are becoming much more mindful of buying higher quality items, which they want to have some durability uh, in in much the same way that we see a a change in fast fashion. There's also a slight change in how people are reflecting on homewares and and what they want to last and what they want to sort of keep. Um, And Ocus certainly has tried to adapt so that it can actually be used alongside the rest of your family's inherited furniture or things that you are bring with you from your journey through life. Uh, So that's definitely been a change. And then, of course, we're also looking at what do different models mean in the future? So back to sustainability, what could rental mean in the future? Uh, What will re-commerce look like to enable us to drive a more circular economy around the furniture?
1: And there's a lot of talk about creating an experience within retail. When you go about launching your stores in the US... What does experience mean to you?
2: Well, I have actually, uh, I was at Procter & Gamble for 14 years uh, across Europe, Asia, Middle East, working with a huge variety of retailers from the British high street to Japanese department stores to travel retail. Um, and each have their own Opportunities and challenges when it comes to creating experiences. Uh, from Procter and Gamble, I moved to Rafa, a cycling brand, uh, and during that time, my, my tenure there, we doubled the retail estate, and that's really where I, I came to love and embrace the idea of having community at the heart of the retail experience. Uh, so, Rafa has a very unique uh, business model uh, where the stores are a mixture of a cafe, uh, an area to actually see the apparel, the cycling clothing, but also they're there to activate rides and events. So fundamentally for people to meet, have a morning coffee, head out on a ride together. In the evening we would do talks, videos, activations, but it was really identifying that retail is part of people's leisure time, so you have to identify the tribe that is wanting to spend time there and then create experiences that make them want to keep coming back. And that's the same with Ochre. So, again, cycling is obviously a very specific tribe. It's very passionate. But actually, when you think of furniture and homewares, this is people's homes. And actually, that's a huge source of emotion and passion for people to make sure they have the best experiences for their family and friends. So we have lots of activations through the Ochre store. Uh, be it an an in-house florist who helps with arranging faux flowers uh, for your home or for gifts. We actually take over our flagships very regularly uh, throughout the year to put on supper clubs. So we'll actually transform our room sets into dining areas and we'll have up to 70 people come to dine in store with us in the evening, often accompanied by a talk, uh, often with a new chef, new up-and-coming chef, to give them exposure to our clientele. Um, and of course, we also do talks and panels around design and interiors, which is a great source of interest for lots of our tribe.
0: Visit Retail Week Live in London, March 25th to the 26th, to hear and learn from 200 speakers with both strategic and digital sessions across the two day event. Meet 50 of the latest startups and find the right partner to help shape and execute your future strategy from the C suite to tech teams, marketing, customer experience, retail and e-commerce. It's the must-attend UK retail event for those who want to stay informed. Find out more at live.retail-week.com. Use the Retail Exchange discount code RETAILEX15 for 15% off. Retail Week Live 2020. Retail Evolved. <laughs> And when you look at your
1: competitors in the US, like um, Restoration Hardware and what they're doing, what do you sort of take from their model and what do you try and do differently?
2: So Restoration Hardware is uh, a great phenomenon. I think they're a fantastic retailer. Uh, certainly for us, we in, in our brand DNA, we are definitely trying to be slightly more approachable. Uh, and as I said, a lot of our brand personality is around a celebration of family, a celebration of friends, dining and entertaining. So from them, I mean, their their professionalism and the way that they present themselves uh, is certainly something which is very aspirational for us. Uh, They have fantastic cafes and restaurants uh, and areas for people to enjoy designing their home, working with interior designers. um, And those are all great pillars, which we also think are important. I think where we try to differentiate is really by having this much more intimate experience with our customers. So the supper club ends up being our customers' favourite interaction with us Because they're actually getting to sit in our furniture, enjoy a a celebratory meal, hear from an interesting speaker, get exposure to a chef. So all that that sort of multitude of senses, which is what you want to experience from furniture in your own home. Uh, So I think we're a little bit different in how we really integrate the product into that community uh, atmosphere.
1: From what you describe, I'm just wondering whether the next step is not only a supper club, but actually giving people the opportunity to live in the store for a day or two or a weekend. Is that? Do you think that could happen?
2: It's funny you should say that because it has been a conversation that we've had before at a board level. I think our customers would love it um, because the rooms are so beautifully stylized. Uh, they're in great locations. Uh, and it really properly allows you to sort of try before you buy uh, in a sort of unique environment. So certainly uh, not something I'd rule out at this stage.
1: Indeed. And you never know what connections may be made. Friendships for the future as a result. Who knows? Um, uh, when you when you look at the um, the choice of location, how do you decide where you're going to spend the money putting a store when you're trying to crack a market like the US?
2: So, we work very closely, obviously, with agencies to look at many of the usual factors. Uh, it will be demographics, it'll be a spend within the category, it'll be our competitors and an overlay from that point of view. Um, I think for us, when you're right at the start of a journey, logistics also plays a huge role. Uh, the state is so large, it's it's almost uh, like all of Europe, is a continent, obviously, it's, it's like several countries uh, all stitched together. So you really have to start thinking about logistics as well. We've uh, decided to start our journey on the East Coast. Uh, We've decided not to start in the heart of New York, but actually to sort of push further north uh, into some of the Prosperous suburbs. Um, And really, that's a a great sweet spot for us as a brand in terms of great suburban family homes, again, where people are wanting to enjoy time with family and friends. Uh, They have disposable income, um, but also they have a sense of community. And I think, again, our store, when it opens in the summer, will actually play a huge role in consolidating that community and helping to activate and bring to life. the the actual part the actual inhabitants of of the area
1: and how do you marry up the two the in-store experience and the online experience
2: well i think everyone's trying to crack that (laughs) so (laughs) i even we have so many customers who say to us i was just trans my my opinion of the brand transformed as soon as i walked into a store so all retailers know the struggle between the power of the store and the fact that it's obviously much more cost effective and convenient to drive an online business. So we try we try to actually create beautiful room sets which can be shown in our magazine, which can be shown on the website, and which can be shown in store. So we have a consistency of the looks and the inspiration that we're giving to our customers. The reason that people go into store is obviously for that fully immersive experience. But we try to offer more benefits online in terms of how to achieve the look. So how-to videos, tips and tricks, um, ideas from other interior designers of how they would use our ochre product differently. So online has to serve as a, a bigger inspiration point because by definition it never has the fully immersive experience of retail.
1: You mentioned the website, but um, I just wonder where social media fits into your strategy. I mean, do you look at working with influencers, for example?
2: Yes, we've worked very heavily with influencers across the UK and the US. Again, because interiors and homes are a passion project, People love collecting uh, people to follow for hints, tips, ideas. Uh, Social media is really one big mood board once you start getting into it Mm. for interiors or for fashion. So people are constantly pinning, tagging, referencing, building up their ideas of how they want to develop their home. Uh, And often people will come with actual uh, social links to our interior designers, and actually use pictures from their phone uh, through through sort of social media that they're following. So it's it's a huge way for people to get lots of ideas very quickly. Um, and we we obviously spend a lot of time with influencers, encouraging them to use our product in very different ways to us, so that there's a new, fresh perspective.
1: And with that in mind, designer collaborations. How how do you go about um, picking the right collaboration that will enhance your brand rather than perhaps dilute it?
2: Well, I think collaborations can come from different angles. Uh, There's one angle which is just pure brand disruption by doing something totally zany and different to make people look at you in a different way. Uh, And then there are other collaborations which are more about building on the combined strengths of two brands. Um, Actually, it, only in the last six months have we really actively started doing collaborations since I've joined. And we have a whole suite of them coming up in the next year as well. Um, our first collaboration was with an industrial designer, Ron Arad, and was definitely the first type of collaboration, which was totally zany, um, very different for us. Um, Ron's extraordinary, but he is an industrialist. So everything looks and feels quite different dark and severe, uh, whereas, as I said, ochre is much more about layer, texture, pattern, being comfortable, saving your best for every day is what we like to say. So bringing those two words to get worlds together was literally a collision, um, and out of it came an extraordinary chair, which paid homage to our very... Uh, traditional collection, but also had an extraordinarily severe industrial edge. And that, again, was more for fun and for inspiration to show people that we could actually be quite versatile in how we presented the products.
1: It sounds like the idea of designer collaborations is something that you've introduced in the role since you you joined the company. Uh, Which other retailers, which brands do you take inspiration from who do that kind of collaboration very well?
2: Uh, I think within the sphere that I work uh, within this industry, uh, anthropology and Soho Home was a very smart collaboration. Uh, going back to my previous brand, Rafa, Rafa and Paul Smith uh, is an endless marriage. It's not yeah. even a collaboration. <laughs> There's such a beautiful synergy. Uh, we all have total respect for Paul and the work that he does uh, he's a keen cyclist um, and we did lots of brilliant products together which really brought out the fun and sophistication of Paul uh, but also the sort of cycling heartland of Rafa so uh, I think they're I think they're super interesting as I said as long as they're kind of bringing out the best of both brands and both brands are staying true to themselves
0: you mentioned
1: the previous places you've worked so I'd like to talk a little bit now about your career to date and I mean, going right back to the beginning, what was it about retail that made you think, yes, that is the sector that I want to work in?
2: Well, when I was younger, so really quite young... I think I just got immense satisfaction from being able to physically see the things that I was working on actually coming to life. Um, I could never really imagine myself working in financial services. I actually loved working on projects and then seeing them actually be executed uh, in a a tangible way. Um, I'm I'm of the generation that probably grew up in a very booming British high street and that Played an important part in my leisure time uh, and felt a very natural place to be and to spend time. Uh, I think as I've progressed in my career, the thing that's kept me here has really been the challenges. Um, so I'm a, I'm a sort of great believer that sort of out of struggle will come greatness. <laughs> and I think that's where the UK retail scene is at the moment. Uh, as I said, there are numerous conflicts that we're all trying to resolve, be it the conflict between sustainability and convenience be it the conflict between customers desiring a personalized experience and yet a huge clampdown on data and privacy. Uh, So... These are things which all retailers are trying to solve. Uh, As I said, technology, it's almost progressing faster than the consumer needs. Uh, So how do we embrace it, harness it, so that it's actually serving a purpose in retail versus becoming a gimmick uh, or something which distracts from who the brand really is? Um, So it's really the challenges that are keeping me here at the moment. Uh, And and I really enjoy, uh, going back to our original conversation, the Retail Week Advisory Board. Uh, There's really a sense of camaraderie in UK retail. Uh, and people genuinely want to help each other solve the problems. Uh, and I think that's that's a brilliant industry to be in.
1: And of course, uh, the level you're at now, when people are trying to solve these problems, they look to people like you to inspire and to lead. What, what's your approach to leadership?
2: Well, I'd love to have a really smart answer, which says that I I sort of love watching people blossom and uh, allowing them to carve their own path. But actually, uh, I'm sure my team would say I'm a horrific draconian tyrant.
1: (laughs) Well, we've got some clips of them now. No, no, we haven't really. Don't worry, don't worry. I'm I'm joking, I'm
2: joking, I'm joking. So so I'm I'm very hands-on. I'm a very hands-on leader. Um, I think it's really important to envision success uh, and really think about what does the end goal look like. Uh, And that's possibly because I'm a cyclist and an ex-racer and visualization of success plays a huge role in racing. But then you have to give people really careful parameters. Uh, it's a busy, it's a busy time of our lives. Retail's evolving very quickly. There's lots of things to do. So actually, giving people parameters so they can be very productive, I think actually is is much more motivating for people for them re- versus them wasting their time uh, and then having to sort of go back and redo. Uh, so very hands on. Um, I'd also say that I'm very customer obsessed. Uh, I grew up in PNG at at a time when A. G. Laffley was CEO uh, and he was incredibly formative in PNG culture during his tenure. Uh PG is very big, complex, diverse, global, and actually he rallied the entire company around the mantra. Customer's boss. So that has stayed with me during my sort of formative years, uh, during my career. And I like to think that every role that I go to, I bring a real customer obsession to understand the data, understand the insights, really listen to what the customer's saying.
1: It sounds like your former boss at PG was a sort of a key inspirational figure to you at, at that time and, and remains so. But I, I suppose now, who do you look to for? motivation or inspiration when you're having those moments where you're thinking where's my creativity gone you know where's where's the drive where's the energy who do you look to?
2: Mm. Well I've been very lucky Um, I've I've worked in lots of vibrant cities across the globe, and most of those cities are teeming with talks and panels and ways that you can get external inspiration. So that always plays a role. Um, But I do think uh, previous bosses really have had a huge impact on my approach to retail, my approach to the customer. Simon Mottram, who founded RAFA, I hold in total esteem for his laser focus on the gap that he saw in the market Um, and he built a very polemic brand which was quite love or hate um, but was very true to his, his position and stayed the course. And then with retail, I really think he was at the forefront of creating uh, communities and tribes within the retail experience. So I tried to garner a lot of learnings close to home. Um, But as I said, the the customer is always there to to really get a lot of energy and inspiration from. If you listen to the insights, you can dial back and find the the solutions to what they're actually asking for. Um, So I always try to spend a lot of time with customers. Um, I've always made sure, uh, as I've, I've gone through the ranks in organisations that customer service stays close to the commercial and marketing team. Uh, I don't see it as a logistics function who are just there to make the customers stop complaining and go away. I see them as a really healthy channel for for getting insights and a true reflection of how your company is performing.
1: It's quite a gear change, if you pardon the pun, from a a cycling uh, brand to a a luxury homewares retailer. Uh, Where do you see parallels in what you do now with what you did before and, and things that perhaps join up and, and you've carried across from one role to the other?
2: I think there are actually more parallels than would than would be apparent. As I said, I've always loved working in uh, want versus need categories. Uh, certainly cycling is very much a want category. It's a very strong tribe. It's a very specific customer. Um, but as I've moved into interiors, again, there's that same energy and passion. It's very emotional. It's people's homes. It's how they spend their time. Uh, I think, especially in in times like these where we have lots of uncertainty, you do really see the castle effect, where people are really actually building their castles, making sure that their home is comfortable uh, and that they can enjoy their 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 free time. Um, so again, we've actually saw we saw great growth last year across retail and online for for furniture and homewares. And I think that's the impact of people wanting to feel safe and secure in their spaces. Uh, So definitely the passion, um, but then also the experiences. So as I said, obviously cycling is a very um, singular experience in that people are on a bike. Um, But with homes, we're really able to bring so many different experiences to people either by our interior design team going into people's homes uh, forming relationships transforming people's homes for them or people coming in to hear from us in terms of tips and tricks uh, or faux flowers and how to really get the most out of out of the decorations in their house so I think passion Mm. and experience are really the two key words
1: were you only a keen cyclist when you were there or does that continue now
2: So, I was actually a very keen cyclist before I joined RAFA. uh, And then I actually joined uh, in Asia. Um, so at the time I was living in Singapore and Rafa was looking for somebody to open up the Asia markets. Uh, so at that time I was uh, five kilogram lighter and uh, a pretty, <laughs> a pretty efficient racer. Um, unfortunately now I've come back to UK winters and, and probably put on the the Heathrow fat suit. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, but I still remain a very keen cyclist. I've literally just come back from five days in Tenerife, um, and I actually think that time on the bike. It's a massive cliche that I guess every every cyclist uh, adheres to. Time on the bike is brilliant for getting perspective, for working through problems, uh, for thinking about what is exciting. uh, How do I, you know, how do I solve for my customers? So I still religiously cycle 10,000 kilometers a year uh, just to try and keep myself out of trouble.
1: Wow. And I suppose that's quite a good way to, to switch off as well from the pressures of the job.
2: Absolutely Um, it's a great way to engage actually some of my best conversations have been on the bike either with colleagues or increasingly with friends talking through problems Um, so it's a good way to work things through or sometimes it's good as you say just to switch off and enjoy a brilliant descent.
1: And when you're trying to get kind of clear headspace and on a day-to-day level at work how, how do you go about doing that?
2: Well, I do definitely try to exercise every morning. Uh, I make that sort of part of my routine. Uh, I also eat breakfast. Uh, I'm a big believer that breakfast gives you a lot of energy. I don't think I've skipped a meal in uh, 41 years. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but I guess during during the working day it's so important to try to carve out times to just walk away uh, to allow everything to digest um, and I'm lucky, you know, we, we work in a brilliant part of London, um, right on the Fulham Road uh, and just every now and then to carve out the the 30 minutes to, to walk a few blocks, to take in a bit of winter sunshine and to sort of reprocess the priorities, make sure that really focused on what needs to be done, not just what's urgently thrust in front of you. Uh, it's a hard discipline with a very busy job, but uh, I, I'm sure anyone in my position will say just walking away every now and then is, is what keeps you sane.
1: 2019 was a pretty torrid year for retail. Um, numbers of retailers going under, store closures, both in the UK and the US and, and, and other parts of the world. Where do you think retail perhaps lost its way and what can it do to set itself back on the right track in 2020?
2: I think the key to to growth with any retailer is really trying to listen and understand, as I said, to what the customer really needs. Uh, We've gone through a decade of fairly frivolous purchasing. Uh, we've gone through uh, suffocation. is one of the words that we use where people could just get endless access to more stuff. Um, and As I said, I think out of adversity, often great things come because it really makes retail sit up, pay attention, try to get back to the basics of what the customer really needs. So again, in an era where online really breeds so much convenience, um, retail really has to step up and think, This is people's leisure time. They don't have to be spending time pounding the pavements. There's so many easy ways to use marketplaces to get what they want at discounted prices. What is the add value that I'm bringing, either by connecting them as a tribe or a community or by providing an experience? How can I gain their trust that I'm using their time in a valuable way? And as I said, the other brilliant thing that comes out of this period or this adversity is how do we actually change the models of retail as well so the increase in rentals which again goes across many different sectors but also re-commerce where people actually want to feel that they're not not just buying and dumping stuff but it's actually going to go back uh, in some way to to a much better cause Uh, so I think those two different angles are actually making retailers think you know how can I tap into those trends.
1: Okay, Sarah Clark, thank you very much indeed. And uh, if you want to hear more inspirational speakers, uh, of course, you can find them at Retail Week Live 2020. It's on the 25th to the 26th of March. And we have a special offer for you. If you visit our website and you put in the promotional code RETAILEX15, you not only get a ticket, you get 15% off that code for you again, RETAILEX15. This is The Interview. Join us again next time.
0: I'm Ben Bland. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast, sponsored by Laybuy. Pay it easy. Stay up to date with new podcast episodes by subscribing online at theretailexchange.co.uk, and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag Retail
2: Exchange. Thanks for listening.